You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Well, what has President Trump tweeted now? Markets are really struggling to make head or tails of uh, Trump's tweet storms at the moment. Uh, we had the US disappointing overnight after Trump cancelled talks with Democrats in a tweet saying that negotiations would stop until after the election. Uh, and then he tweeted uh, just shortly after that that uh, he was open to approving smaller measures that would provide relief to airlines and small businesses. And then he later added that he was ready to sign a standalone bill for stimulus checks for every American for 1,200 US dollars each. Talk about uh, the politics of T-shirts and food parcels over in the US. Uh, we've seen the head-snapping social media proclamations sending markets into a bit of a tiz at the open in the US. Uh, it's still all guns blazing. The Dow up 1.5%, the S&P 1.29% and the Nasdaq 1.3%. Over in Europe, uh, the FTSE ended pretty much flat, as well as the DAX. The CAC 40 was down 0.3% and uh, we gave back uh, a lot of uh, or clawed back a lot of yesterday's losses where we ended up 1%, uh, 545 points on the Aussie, 54,749 uh, uh, points overall. The top 40 up 1.09%, uh, uh, resources 1.5%, industrials uh, just under 1%, financials also just under 1%, uh, property the big loser along with the gold index, uh, property down one7 the gold index down 2 uh, Lots to talk about with Wayne McCurry, portfolio manager at F&B Wealth and investments and martin harris premium client manager at igsa wayne uh, it is uh, undoubtedly going to be a very volatile ride until that november 3rd election uh, why do you think the markets are rising on the, the the promise of stimulus after the election well look stimulus at any stage i'm sure you know it's good for markets so it, the markets will will go up on that but also they had a bad day you know they haven't done all that well just recently so yeah but look, I mean, if President Trump gets re-elected, that's probably mildly positive for markets. And if Joe Biden gets elected, it's probably mildly negative for markets. So I don't think who wins is going to have a dramatic effect on what the markets do. But in the interim, there could be a lot of volatility. In fact, there probably will be a lot of yeah. volatility. Yeah, absolutely. I think the worst result for markets, Martin, to bring you in here, would probably be something like a no result or a contested result. Uh, markets uh, generally like some check on, on power, so you don't want a clean sweep by the Republicans or the Democrats either way. And uh, I tend to agree with, with Wayne's assessment there. Slightly positive if a Trump, uh, you know, wins. Slightly negative for Biden, although not terribly negative. If we get a no result, then I think we we could see the the market really sell off. Yes, uh, you're right, Michael. I think um, you know the, the Democrats have also painted a strong picture in terms of the amount of stimulus that they're looking to present to the market, almost blaming the. Um, Republicans from not providing enough. So that, that would largely be quite positive for the markets if that were to come into play. So I think, um, you know, no matter who really wins it, uh, you know, like you said, uh, you want, you want there to be a, uh, sort of a, a defined victory. Um, but you would then get quite, a, I think, a positive uh, response post uh, election because there'd be this, uh, you know, defined plan where, the, where they intend to take the market. I mean, Trump is already talking about how much uh, tax cuts they're going to do if they uh, win again. 
Um, and so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. The polls right now are pointing to uh, quite a large amount of um, of voters who are going to stay away, but also a small amount of undecided voters, previously high amounts of undecided voters. So the swing might not be as great towards uh, Trump this time. And I think uh, also what makes this highly uncertain, Wayne, to bring you in on this point, is the fact that we're going to see a record number of ballots cast by mail. Where voters voting uh, during a pandemic, we've already seen uh, quite a few votes cast by, by mail. And Trump has spent months making uh, rather misleading statements about mail voting because it's been around for some time. And he's already said that uh, if he loses and he expects the election to end up in the Supreme Court. Yes. And there's no evidence whatsoever in U.S.'s history of any type of fraud by a postal vote. There is simply no history of it. So, but he is clearly laying the ground for the possible legal action should he lose. And but, but there's actually no previous evidence, from what I can ascertain, of postal voter fraud in America's history. It is typical Donald Trump. Uh, so calling this one, forecasting it, uh, makes it extremely difficult for markets. And hence, uh, we need to really expect volatility. Martin, looking at uh, our market today, uh, there are some big names on the uh, on the winner's board. Capitech up 5.7%. TFG continues to be a market darling, a very successful rights issue. It's got jet shoes now. Anthony Thunstrom seems to be doing all the right things there. What stands out for you amongst uh, the, the gays' top? Uh, the day's top movers. Yeah, thanks, Michael. I think, uh, you know, the fact that we've got the retailers up in, in such a difficult environment and TFG up so much. Another, but the big standout for me is that we've got a, an overall resources basket that's looking quite weak, except for the general resources and the platinum miners. Implats really having a good day again, up uh, 3.15% whilst uh, the gold miners uh, are in the bit of the doldrums at the moment. And we uh, will we'll talk a lot about resources a little bit later on, but I want to stay on the winners and losers board just for a second longer. Wayne, uh, I, I know you are very fond of property stocks and uh, the wreckage in Reetland, uh, is <laughs> it just continues to confound. Nepi Rockcastle down 4.1, Hammerson 5.7, Redefined 3.5, Resilient uh, 3%. There just seems to be no end to the carnage amongst the property counters. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, Amazon's a very specific set of circumstances there. But generally speaking, in this type of environment, you don't know where the bottom is. you just got no clue. It could be at the bottom today. It could be at the bottom in six months' time. And it could be 10, 15, 20% lower than where it is now. But what you do know is, is that the property companies are trading at a 40% discount, and maybe and some of them even bigger, to their net asset value. So if the economy recovers, if some form of normality eventually is restored to the property market, even if that normality, the value of that normality is 20% less than what it was last year, the shares are still 40% lower than that. So, you know, you can sit, let's just say the average REIT, and not the highly geared ones and not the highly specialized ones, if their earnings can get back to where they were last year in three years' time, now that's entirely feasible. 
and you can buy some of these companies at a 20% dividend yield. What, though, if, uh, Martin, to bring you in on this, uh, the, the valuations that are underpinning those net asset values are completely, um, shall we say, uh, meaningless in an environment where we are seeing property valuations come down. We had a TAC recently revalue its property portfolio down 1.7 billion rand. Some say that's nowhere near the revaluation that needs to occur with that counter specifically. And, uh, and likewise, so many other REITs, uh, because we we have this situation where in the retail side uh, you walk through any mall uh, and you can just see the the, the shops that were uh, once thriving now shuttered if you go to commercial property people working from home uh, the the office blocks are not full anymore and we seem to be uh, well we built so many in the last while there, there just seems to be all of these uh, forces driving property valuations down Absolutely, Michael. I think it's quite a scary space if you are a, uh, a big shareholder or if you are in that uh, the, the property development route space. I think, though, just on your point, okay, so that the, the book values that the companies are presenting are going to probably be inflated. Now, it wasn't long ago where the REITs actually traded at a premium to their net asset value. And that is a, an asset value that the, the REIT has actually established and presented to the market. And so, you know, normally you would get uh, the market sometimes in discounting book value by 10%, 15%. But now we've got the market discounting the book value very heavily. But on top of that, uh, the REITs typically have a very high uh, expense ratios. They've got uh, the highly geared ones have very high uh, loan-to-value ratios, and it's that risk that they've added on um, that that pushes their price now down to where, I mean, on the likes of high prop where we're getting the 70% discount to net asset value, and that's because of their really high gearing. So um, investors just need to be slightly careful. I, I still believe that there's some gems out there. Uh, the, the net asset value discounts are probably overdone on some of them. Um, we, we're not going to see those prices that we saw uh, 12 months ago anytime soon, but we could certainly see uh, a lot of the stocks being able to double their price in the next year or two. And I think uh, Fairtree actually, there was an ascend announcement, Fairtree Capital took a 5% stake in Hypro uh, that was announced, I think, yesterday or the day before, showing sort of the confidence that some of the asset managers have in these mm. undervalued uh, property stocks. Interesting. That Wayne, to come back to you on this point, uh, uh, what should CEOs of these uh, property counters be doing now to shore up their balance sheets? Uh, they've already approached the regulator to say, can we um, uh, get a, uh, a regulatory stay, so to speak, of execution in terms of the fact that we have to distribute a lot of our earnings? Can we halt that to shore up our balance sheet? Surely they should be raising equity in this environment, despite their depressed share prices at the moment. Surely uh, you should be saying to shareholders, is right. Um, it, it's time for you to bail us out. Otherwise, otherwise, we hand over the keys to to the debt providers. Look, you don't want to issue equity at this price. It is horrendously expensive over time. You issue a share, it stays an issue forever. You know, uh, the banks and the capital market providers have not dried up funds. In fact, most of them have upped their, their loan to their loan to value their covenant percentages, and the, the I would say getting now, I would say 
60 to 70 percent by market value of all the properties in all the REITs aren't actually, you know, at death, rattling at death's door. They're having to do a rights issue to avoid handing the keys back to the debt providers. You know, the situation is not quite as bad as that. And they will come through all of this. I mean, you can see quite a few REITs actually made profits, although they might be 40 or 50 percent down on the previous period, they actually made profits and gave a distribution. You know, so, you know, the, the, the average REIT's not, maybe not in quite as much trouble as, as what the general market perception is, because in an environment like this, this is like gold shares two years ago, this is like platinum shares five years ago, it's like iron ore shares five years ago, there's no shortage of bad news. If you want to dig up bad news on it, I mean, you, you're flooded by bad news. But I'll just come back to the point I made earlier on. It's quite simple. Share that the net asset value has already been written down, say, 15%. But the shares are still trading at a 40% discount to that. So there's going to be significantly more bad news that actually happens mm. until reality hits what the share prices are showing. As Benjamin Graham, the father of value investing, would say, there is significant margin of safety in specific counters. Let's turn to the mining industry now, as we had the Joburg and Darba kicking off today. Anglo-American CEO Mark Kutafani saying that he wants to explore for base metals in South Africa, but, and that's with the capital B, the country needs regulatory certainty and changes to make it more competitive with other mining jurisdictions. You could have taken this from any number of Indabas over the recent years. Martin, it's like a stuck record. When will government uh, finally hear this message? That's right, Michael. And I think every one of these Indabas, we then also get representatives from the government saying that they were going to pay ball. Particularly, there wasn't enough uh, electricity, uh, reliability. You know, we just don't have enough juice to actually expand uh, the mining networks. And so that is where the IPPs were supposed to be coming online. There were promises made by um, Gwede Mantasha regarding that at the last uh, you know, physical mining in Daba. We're still waiting on, on that. So, you know, there's, there's no definitive answer. And I think everyone has known in the mining sector that that can would get kicked down the road. Um, still, you know, we've got uh, very strong iron ore prices, and I think that's why we're seeing... Uh, you know, the sector globally has been a good sector to be in, and that's why we're seeing the local counties in those spaces performing quite well. Um, it's not been because of, uh, South Africa has all of a sudden become a favourable place to, to actually start to uh, have a mining business. Now, imagine what we could do if we uh, got that, uh, that policy certainly, got our regulatory ducks quacking and neatly lined up in a row, and we, we had this uh, benefit of commodity prices uh, behind us and, and where they've been. If you look at iron ore, if you, uh, if you look at gold and PGMs as well, uh, we, we really do shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes. Wayne, um, Afrimat is one of those. It's, uh, it's an open pit mining and construction materials group that uh, has now quite a significant chunk of iron ore, uh, thanks to the Demining deal that it did uh, quite some time ago. Up almost 3% today on this trading update. Anthony Clark, I've got to hand it to him. He called it yesterday. What yeah. do you think of these uh, numbers? No, look, they're actually, they're actually good good numbers. And I mean, that's one of the sole survivors. It's not quite a, just a, a material handling company, but they're one of the sole survivors. So yeah, they've done very well.
And then Pick and Pay also came out with a trading and earnings update, uh, flagging a 60% profit fall uh, because of COVID restrictions. That certainly impacted its liquor sales, Martin. Uh, it does look like it is picking up market share from somebody out there. Who do you think is bleeding market share? Is it the smaller guys? Is it, uh, is it uh, ShopRite? certainly doesn't look like ShopRite or Spa from here. Well, you know, ShopRite, uh, you know, uh, they were seen as probably taking a lot of market share from everybody. And when we look at these numbers that uh, Pick and Pay has given us, um, just let's say uh, if we look at the market share, um, it looks like that they haven't lost any market share in their core retail sales business. So that excludes the liquor and the clothing businesses. Um, but their tobacco, liquor, clothing, I think down 48%, pretty much due to the onerous lockdown restriction. Um, and then if you take the, you know, they've indicated that they spent 150 million rand associated with COVID expenses. You take that out and you've got their half year headline earnings per share, 71 cents. And so really the, the, the update gives us an idea that they've uh, made continued progress in reducing, uh, reducing operational costs. That's very sustainable. The market has reacted positively today. And there could potentially be more upside for uh, pick and pay uh, in, in the days to come, you know, towards 50 rand a share. Martin Harris, Premium Client Manager at IGSA and Wayne McCurry, Portfolio Manager at F&B Wealth and Investments. F&B, uh, by the way, have uh, announced a very interesting fractional share ownership uh, um, uh, challenge to easy equities today. I'll be talking uh, to uh, Sizwe Ngatlana, CEO of F&B Wealth and Investments and Ashburton a little bit later on about that.